0: Welcome to the SPE Podcast, powered by the Society of Petroleum Engineers. You're listening to SPE Live, Innovation in Hydraulic Fracturing. The audio from this episode was previously recorded on January 22nd, 2024. And now your moderator, Peggy Ryken.
1: Welcome to this SPE Live, Innovation in Hydraulic Fracturing. My name is Peggy Reichen, and I'm the Chapter Manager of Geomechanics at Chevron. I'll be your moderator today. Today's SPE Live will be 30 minutes. Uh, we encourage you to ask questions throughout the event. Uh, before starting our conversation, uh, I would like to invite you to attend the SPE Hydraulic Fracturing a Technology Conference and Exhibition from February 6th to 8th in the Woodlands, Texas. Uh, as you register, be sure to register for the reception on Monday evening at 6 p.m., uh, which is coordinated by the Hydraulic Fracturing Technical Section. It'll be a fun event and the panelists and I look forward to seeing you there. It's now my pleasure to introduce our guests. Uh, Karen Olson uh, is a senior completion advisor for Wells Data Labs and an independent consultant. She was previously the technology director for Southwestern Energy Company. Karen has been a completion reservoir engineer for over 37 years, starting her career as a fracturing engineer for Western Company of North America. She has also worked at SA Holderton Associates, Mobile Oil and BP. Mike Meyerhover, is the Director of Technology at Liber- Liberty Energy. He, is, he leads a team of engineers providing big data analytics and engineering solutions to optimize fracture completions in unconventional shale and tight oil and gas plays. He has also worked on various SPE committees and he's the, of the recipient of the 2009 SBE Gulf Coast North America Region Completion Optimization and Technology Award. Mike has a doctorate in petroleum engineering from Mining University in Austria. Kyle Hausweit is a professional engineer registered in the state of Oklahoma. He has a diverse engineering background and is currently manager of Devon Energy Ventures, a team focused on venture capital investments and exploring new energy adjacencies. Kyle is a graduate from Montana Tech with a bachelor's degree in petroleum engineering and from University of Oklahoma with an executive MBA in energy. He's also an, an active SPE member, serving on multiple committees as well as being a distinguished lecturer in 2020. Karen, Mike, Kyle, welcome to this SPE Live. So, Thank let, you, Peggy. Welcome, so let's start off. So, stimulation and completion design improvements have uh, allowed the oil and gas industry to unlock tremendous value and they've been instrumental in the shale revolution. Um, you know, we've made progress in areas ranging from moving for horizontal wells to the number of clusters, cluster spacing, spacing, et cetera. Where do you see the industry's present day focus regarding simulation and completion design improvements to further unlock value? And do you think the focus will change in the next five years? Mike, would you like to share your thoughts?
2: yeah, sure. I think I think one of the, the big things I see these days is is improving the the cluster efficiency, you know along the horizontal well. So a lot of uh, operators are working on uh, optimizing perforation strategies. So a lot of exploration going on. How do we perforate to best ensure that we distribute both the fluid volume, and the prop and mass as uniform as possibly into our perf clusters. So experimentation is definitely going on with, you know, how many holes, how big the hole size, uh, do I shoot the hole up, down, or even maybe 90 degree, 270 degree. So, so I think there's a lot of uh, research going on there to, to improve that uh, cluster efficiency and make the stimulation as uniform as possible. And then I think I think one of the big things, too, is as we're going now longer and longer on our horizontal wells, you know, I've seen experimentation with four mile laterals, ensuring that we get, you know, an effective stimulation across these very long laterals is going to be crucial here in the next next several years, because I think that's going to be here to stay uh, the, you know, the longer horizontal wells. And then I think down the horizon, I still see the refracts are going to be a big thing where, you know, how do we best accomplish, you know, the the refracts and then make the improve the economics with the refracts as well. So those those are some of the three big things I see uh, going forward here.
1: So, Kyle, would you like to add your thoughts to that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good morning. Thank you, Peggy and SP for inviting me to share with with Mike and Karen. I think Mike hit on some of the big ones, the near term, uh, refracts are, are a focus. We know there's resource left behind that's economic to go recover with, with refracturing. I think in the same vein as the cluster efficiency that Mike mentioned, we can design the right hole size, shoot it in the right direction. Uh, but if we don't do the kind of the tackling, the basic things like cementing and gaining isolation behind our our casing, the simple blocking and tackling that we sometimes don't talk as much about because it's not always as easy to measure. Uh, That could be a a mute point if we don't have isolation. So I think cement isolation, like Mike said, perforation efficiency and time. And then the other one that is not oil and gas, but leverages hydraulic fracturing, (coughs) I think we're going to see enhanced geothermal continue to grow and develop At a very rapid pace borrowing much of what we've learned in the last two plus decades in oil and gas and applying it to to geothermal.
1: Thank you Kyle. Karen your thoughts? Hey
3: Peggy thanks thanks for inviting me to be here with everybody today. Um, You know I think both uh, Mike and Kyle hit on the big ones. Uh, The other thing that I see people focusing on uh, right now is um, of course there's a lot of infill drilling and completions going on and so there's a lot of um, parent-child or legacy well, new well interactions, and so I see a lot of operators focusing on how do they maximize the recovery out of these, these new wells that are sitting being drilled right next to um, the existing legacy wells. Uh, refracs, um, yeah, Mike touched on that. I think the uh, really you know trying to optimize and maximize our recoveries um, with refracs is going to get bigger. And then the other thing besides the geothermal that Kyle mentioned on is I really think in the next five years or so, people are going to start going back to fields that we don't necessarily label as unconventionals right now. So I think we're going to start seeing operators going back to say, you know, old sort of conventional fields and, and placing horizontals in those wells and, you know, with, uh, producers and injectors to increase the recovery from those fields as well.
1: Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. So, yeah. So, and I'm I'm pretty sure. Or, well, no, I'm sure that during the hydraulic fracturing technical conference, there will be lots of uh, different uh, mm-hmm. technologies that will be discussed. And so, that's an exciting uh, venue. So, uh, I, I really uh, look forward to to that event and see what we where we're going to go uh, in the industry. So. Uh, I also want to talk to you uh, about diagnostics. Um, They've been a key in our understanding of hydraulic Mm -hmm. fracturing and our our ability to drive for improvement. Um, So uh, what is one of the most surprising learnings from fracture diagnostics that that you can can share? So uh, Kyle, maybe you can start.
0: I'll touch on two. The first one was part of the hydraulic fracturing test site two in the Permian. And the main surprise for us was the hydraulic height that was generated in in that project it was in excess of 1,500 feet, measured from fiber. So we had a vertical well. This is all published. A, a vertical well that had fiber optic cable permanently strapped to the outside of the casing, and you could watch that hydraulic geometry develop over time. and And at the time, we had most of our models were calibrated to you know less than 500 feet of hydraulic height, and that diagnostic completely changed our view as to how that geometry was being developed in the in the reservoir uh, and and in that same vein again fiber has been tremendous for probably the last decade plus as far as what it's done to help us understand how to improve our completion design like mike mentioned cluster efficiency it's the best tool to measure in real time cluster efficiency and how things change over time you know, a few years ago when our cluster spacing was 30 40 50 60 feet uh, the fiber resolution, spatial resolution, was was good enough for that. But as we've gotten tighter and tighter in our cluster spacing, we've had to, you know, lean on technology developments in fiber that have allowed us to decrease that spatial resolution in some cases down to as tight as 20 centimeters, which has opened up our eyes to the complexity and in how these fractures develop over time, complexity, and, and what I mean is asymmetry, and that excess of height growth, like I mentioned, uh, but also reiterates that overall, the fractures themselves, the corridors are quite planar in nature. And looking forward, you know, as much progress as we've seen in fiber in the last decade plus, I expect we'll continue to see that develop. And I think that next big breakthrough is gonna be using fiber to measure change in pressure. In the reservoir over time, so we can have a, a tighter resolution on on how we deplete that reservoir over time, which ties to the the recent frac test site the DOE funded that Devon was able to host in the Eagle Ford, that included a core through. And another surprising takeaway from that diagnostic was just how little proppant we do place out into the reservoir, 250 feet away from. From our wells so in, in our case we had two horizontals that had been stimulated and we had a horizontal core through that occurred between those two wells and you have to look hard through that core uh, to find any problem. so again all these diagnostics tend to lead to more questions and ahas that that sometimes you know lead to another diagnostic program to go try to chip away at understanding what's going on
1: so karen uh, what has surprised you in in diagnostics <laughs>
3: Yeah, for me, I have, I would say there's two big ahas that I've I've learned over these past uh, 13 years is, uh, the one the one is, Ty- Kyle sort of touched on it, is that a lot of these unconventionals are more planar than we thought they were, that we are probably generating more planar fractures with maybe some Betty plane shear fracturing going on, but for the most part, planar. You know, we started these unconventionals Um, In the Barnett and the Fayetteville, and I think we started probably with the most complicated unconventionals you could find, that those were the ones that were creating these complex, complicated, you know, uh, fractures. But as we've developed, moved on to different um, basins, uh, what I'm seeing from diagnostics is that they're, for the most part, they're planar and we can match them quite well with just planar fractures. The second big aha, and this um, for me, and this is a big learning for me, was that anytime when we're when we're pumping and we shut down, whether we it's because we shut down to do a step like we do a step down test, or we accidentally lose a pump and so we lose some rate and then we bring it back up. What I've seen, and I've seen this with fiber and also with um, SWPM is that um, you never necessarily get all those clusters back. And so one of my big learnings is it's like once you start pumping these jobs, don't stop. You know, I would not, um, you know, I know some people will argue with me, but from everything I've seen is every time you stop, you're going to lose some clusters. And then when you get back into it, you never you never get them all back. So if you want to keep the maximum cluster efficiency you have, you know, don't don't
2: shut down
1: on that so mike what's what's been uh, the most surprising learning from your side
2: yeah i think i agree with some of the the comments uh here um i think to add to kyle's comment he was talking about the height uh, a surprise mm-hmm. for me has also been you know he, t- he talked about maybe the prop lengths being fairly short but we have a seems like a big discrepancy between the hydraulic length and potentially the prop length, because a lot of the diagnostics are showing very long, you know, hydraulic fractures from a, you know, from a fluid perspective, it looks like we're creating very long fractures, but then yes, maybe the prop length or the effectively producing length is quite a bit shorter. So I think that discrepancy um, is a bit surprising to me. Uh, But then of course, giving, you know, All the complexity that is involved with hydraulic fracturing, the uncertainties, um, um, not not surprising, maybe. But but I think that's something, you know, that's still key that we need to work on to figure out, uh, um, you know, going forward. And then maybe a positive surprise for me has actually been when we look at the some of the fiber data as we're fracking, you know, that we are breaking down most of the clusters as we're fracking. So yeah. I would have thought we're we're gonna be not quite as good as what we actually see in reality. So, but of course, in terms of prop and distribution, et cetera, amongst the clusters, I think it's still not quite as uniform as we'd like, probably in most cases.
3: Yeah, maybe to add to, to what Mike's saying, I, I think that is like I would call it the billion dollar question these days is where's the profit you know how do we really map where this profit is going and how far Mm -hmm. out is it going and and that i would say is the one um that's where we need some more diagnostic tools for is is to locate where that profit is
0: yeah exactly reliable uh, mm-hmm. a, a kind of brute force method to, to try to accomplish what Karen just mentioned I encourage the audience if you're looking for a diagnostic to consider would be setting a whipstock out in your lateral of a depleted well maybe it's before a refrac you know, near the end of its primary economic life set a whipstock mill out and then perform a core through starting at the stimulated well there's been several core throughs some distance away from your mm-hmm. horizontals. And with you know, some of the ellipse of uncertainty, you can't pin down exactly where it is, but we, we're definitely not two, three, four, five feet away from the wellbore with these core throughs. So if someone's out there looking for a unique diagnostic that would help answer a lot of these questions, I'd encourage you to, to consider a mill out whipstock and, and core through from your stimulated well.
3: Yeah, that's so, cool. Let's
1: do that. <laughs> so you guys are already sort of mentioning some, some of the, you know, exciting diagnostic. Things that you're, um, you know, that, that you think are, are are value adding. So, so what is what what is, uh, you know, if you if you get to pick one one thing or maybe two, I'm generous today. Uh, so exciting reading re- recent developments in, in fracture diagnostics. What 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 are you? What would you mention, Karen? What what from your perspective is the most uh, exciting around uh, diagnostic development?
3: Yeah. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is I, I see a lot of people doing more diagnostics than they've done in the past. So I think that's fantastic. I think the sooner you can understand what's happening in your wells, you know, the better, you know, your recoveries are going to be in subsequent wells. So why wait until you've drilled hundreds? Let's figure it out sooner than later. But to me, one of the most exciting diagnostics is, has been the um, SWPM, one of the Sealed Wellbore Pressure Monitoring. Um, over 21,000 stages have been analyzed just in the last few years. So there's a lot of companies have picked it up. Um, this was a this is a patented technology by Devon. So we got Kyle here with Devon that knows it um, better better than myself. But um, I see it's it's a great diagnostic tool because you can see at least hydraulically, as Mike mentioned, you know it's a fracture reaching those offset wells that you have a gauge on. And then the cost to do it is is not that expensive compared to other diagnostic tools. And it's minimally invasive operationally, you know, because operationally uh, efficiencies is always, you know, one of our you know, key parameters when we're doing these unconventionals. So,
1: uh, so Mike, what, uh, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I agree with Karen. I, I, I thought it was exciting when we did some of the, you know fiber monitoring and extended you know the in well fiber monitoring to the offset monitoring strain monitoring and and kind of understanding you know how many fractures are actually coming across a certain distance so that was kind of always exciting for me but then as Karen mentioned i think i think these days is moving to more cost effective diagnostics such as sealed well bar monitoring which could also give you a lot of the things you know that you can do with the the more expensive you know fiber monitoring, um, I think that's exciting that we find you know cost effective options to just do a lot more of the diagnostics in a lot more wells, and then I think from uh, something I really like is the production diagnostics. So I think. Uh, The techniques of, you know, looking at well interference as the wells are producing, such as chow pressure group is a technique that a lot of companies are using. I find that exciting because in the end, at the end of the day, when we're looking at infill drilling and optimizing well spacing, we have to understand how these wells are communicating while we're producing and potentially doing it, you know, over time, you know, not just one, you know, uh, you know at one time in the life of the well but at multiple times in in the life of a field you know how are these wells communicating and interfering i think that's going to be crucial for obviously understanding you know the 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 well spacing optimization question so
1: Kyle what what are you most uh, excited uh development diagnostics
0: 100% <laughs> agree with with Mike and Karen on what they've listed you know I, the overarching component that i'm excited about is the affordability which allows for volume and and the minimal minimally invasive nature of these diagnostics so karen mentioned swpm or crosswell strain for hydraulic geometries not only when but where and how many arrive at offsets mike mentioned cpg we also have the devon quantification of interference which is uh, slightly different but it's after this the same goal of quantifying interference between wells the third one I'd add to the list that, that fits that bill of low cost and uh, repeatable and time lapse like CPG and DQI is time lapse geochem. So you get your hydraulic geometries from SWPM, you can get your conductive overlap with CPG and DQI, and then that time lapse geochem can give you some insight into the drained height and how it changes over time. And then to, to add on to all of those, I'd say what I've been really impressed by Jackson Hafter on our team at Devon. Has done a tremendous job of putting this stuff together, making a an image or a video that large groups of people can sit around and talk about and, and truly collaborate over. So I think it's low cost in nature, allows for a lot of volume, allows for code and processes to be developed to then ingest it and visualize it because a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is worth a whole lot more. And I think that's part of the reason that we've seen the adoption take off is because when you see it over and over again, you learn from it so much more rapidly and people can truly understand what's going on and make observations and then test quickly and see the results so uh, visualizations should should not be undersold i think it's one of the most crucial steps in a quality diagnostic program is putting it all together so so the teams can understand it
3: yeah maybe um if peggy if you don't mind Mm -hmm. you know you know what based on you know what kyle is saying One of the one of my learnings over all these years is that you really don't want to just use one diagnostic tool. You know, if you're trying to figure, you know, something out and and you always want to know what you're trying to figure out before you pick that diagnostic, you don't just go and do diagnostics to do it. you got to be doing diagnostics to answer questions or solve a problem. But you're going to I always recommend that you get at least two diagnostics to answer whatever you're trying to figure out. So, for example, if you're trying to do, say, fracture height, like Kyle mentioned, you're going to want to do two different diagnostics to answer that height question. You know, the vertical fiber, fantastic. That gives you a look all the way up. Just think if we had just used, say, seal well you just had a gauge 300 feet above you. Well, then that's all you would have seen. You wouldn't have seen it go all the way up. So I always recommend you want at least two diagnostic methods to answer whatever you're trying to figure out on there. And a lot of times um, they bring up more questions. And so you're gonna wanna do more, <laughs> but you're gonna be doing more diagnostics on the next well to figure out the next thing. You just go, well, what's happening? Why is this happening? What do I need to do to answer that? So.
1: Nice add. Thank, thanks, thanks, Karen. Um, yeah. So I want to go to the last question because before I go to the questions for the audience. So and uh, mm-hmm. we've got a little time, so uh, ask for a lightning round of, of thoughts. So, mm-hmm. um, so what are your your thoughts around real time uh, data and how we that can improve mm-hmm. our uh, our fracturing operations and our decision making? Right, Karen sort of touched on. You're, you know, collecting data to make decisions. So what's our greatest opportunity you see around real-time data to improve our uh, fracturing operations? So Karen, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll uh, ask you first.
3: Okay, thanks Peggy. Yeah, just quickly, um, this is where I believe industry needs to be heading, um, is to me the integration of, of real-time diagnostics during operations. So right now we get the diagnostics and then we analyze it afterwards. And, you know, sometimes it can take us forever to analyze it and then maybe six months later before recommendations come out. I think we're heading in the direction where you're gonna be looking at diagnostics real time and the um, well site supervisor or the engineer watching the job should be able to make real time or close to real time uh, decisions. Um, I, I'm gonna talk about this at the hydraulic fracturing conference. I, got, I have a few videos, uh, cause this is really sort of, you know, my vision of where I, where I think we all need to be heading.
1: So, So, Kyle, you might be at your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree with Karen. I actually think we have the diagnostics today to make decisions. I think what we lack is a quality uh, production log, for, especially for liquid rich wells, because the, the challenge right now, you, you end up, we've we found ourselves sometimes running in a, a circular loop, trying to make real-time changes, but then discuss how do we measure the impact of the change. We know that there's a long list of variables that impact well performance. And if you're not able to go in and measure that stage and have a high confidence as to the performance of a particular stage based on a specific real-time change, it's it's really difficult to complete that value equation to understand if I cut my stage short, short or I add volume and it costs this much or I save that much, what's the impact on performance? And I, th- I think that's what our industry is lacking right now as far as diagnostics, the The one big ask is that we can get a a diagnostic tool for liquid-rich wells that can help us measure uh, production down to a cluster level or or a stage level at the very least. Uh, There's been several attempts and there's a lot of variability. Like Karen mentioned before, if you go run two different production logs in the same well today, it's not uncommon to see a, a 2x delta in a stage. So we just don't have a reliable affordable diagnostic that allows us to measure the impacts of real-time changes. Mike and and Karen both mentioned we have multiple low-cost diagnostics to measure what's going on in real-time with the stimulation. We've got the ability to stream data. We've got the ability to analyze treating pressure and, and all of the inputs. But what we don't have is a method to measure the impact of a change. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so um, Mike, very quickly before we yeah,
0: go I I fully agree with
2: what Karen and Kyle said, and and I think from our perspective, service companies is optimizing you know chemicals for example as we're pumping for example friction reducer right how do we optimize the pumping of the friction reducer concentration and I think I think those are some of the low hanging fruits uh, getting the pump rate faster you know again it's all about efficiency. Uh, ensuring that we pump the stage in the shortest amount of time possible and 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 pump it successfully so i see lots of opportunities there kind of low-hanging fruit
1: thank you so um we'll move over to questions to the audience and i i will say right now we will not be able to get to all of them so uh, i really look forward uh, i know all of us will be at the hydraulic fracturing technical conference so please come uh, come there and and uh, you know Hit us up and we'll be happy to talk some more. So a question, and I I apologize if I mispronounce your name, from Faisal Um, Al-Junabi. How to determine the associated risks of hydraulic fracturing uh, to be extended vertically to the water zone? So what are some of the the risks associated with, uh, I guess, getting into uh, zones you don't want to get into?
2: Yeah, I mean, good question. That, that, that is one of the big, you know, concerns is always vertically how our fractures are growing. And like Kyle mentioned, obviously, you know, using diagnostic techniques, if, if you're in an area where you're very concerned about proximity of water, you know, some of the diagnostics we've mentioned are going to be crucial to, to understanding that. Of course, if you don't have the luxury of diagnostics or can't do them, you know, obviously, we we've, we've always resorted to fracture modeling sensitivities, and you need very good earth models and stress mm-hmm. profiles, you know, to understand potentially how the the fractures could grow vertically and to minimize that that risk of growing into a water zone. Obviously, growing into a water zone is definitely yeah. going to be a, a problem for for well production, right? So you definitely want to to avoid that.
3: Yeah, I would I would add uh, to what Mike is saying is. You know, if you, if you have a water zone and you're afraid the fracture is going to grow down to it, A, you better understand your stress profiles and under, understand do you have um, any stress barriers between your um, producing interval and where that water's is at. Um, the other thing to think about is if you do a horizontal well in that interval, the pay interval, uh, maybe you want to do, uh, do it in the direction so that you're creating a longitudinal type fracture and not transverse. And um, that may help help you stay away from the water so
1: and i want to grab one question that i know that we have an answer to from uh, Paulinus uh, okonokwa this is around the 1500 feet hydraulic height so kyle this one's for you um so uh you know was there an SPE paper you know has there been publications uh so please uh please stand yeah.
0: Yeah. There's been several, probably a dozen or more papers written on this from, uh, from HFTS2. So I'd, I'd encourage you to go out to 1Petro and just search HFTS-2 or space II. Uh, I'll, I'll grab one right now just so you have one to reference. Uh, there's an ERTEC paper, ERTEC 2020-1544. That's a nice one from from GTI. That gives you an overall summary, but there's going to be a a bunch of other papers referenced in, in that paper as well. So you'll see a lot of great work from several companies.
1: Okay. so um, Well, thank you very much for um, the questions. Thank you, the audience, for putting in your questions. Apologies for not being able to get to more. Um, thank you for joining us today, panelists and audience. Uh, so I would like to uh, uh, see you all at the Hydraulic Fracturing Technical Conference. And thank you uh, for attending today. I'll see you on February 6th date.
0: Thanks for listening to the SPE Live podcast. For more content, visit the SPE Energy Stream, the industry's digital pulse at streaming.spe.org. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and review. Join us next time on the SPE Live podcast.